Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. And now here are your hosts, Richard Bliss and Jamie Stegmeier. I'm Richard Bliss, the host. You're listening to episode 187. That was 187. And I'm joined by my co-host, Jamie Stegmeier of Stonemeyer Games. Jamie, I am thrilled to have you back because these ep- these episodes that we do, I think are probably the uh, the feedback we get are the fan favorites. Um, people who are listening are loving the information that you have to share. They can go to your website at Stonemeyer Games. That's M A I E R StonemeyerGames dot com, and can read up on all those blogs that you've written all about Kickstarter. Yeah, we've we've I've kind of built the company around trying to help other people achieve their dreams on Kickstarter and make Kickstarter a better place, which is right in line with what you're trying to do. do. So I'm, I'm glad to be here again. Well, it, I'm thrilled. And uh, we left off a cliffhanger on our last episode together because you were sharing uh, your decision about going, going full-time as a uh, game designer, game publisher, basically a Kickstarter-driven business. And right. the decisions you shared, uh, some of the decisions that you had made, I, I'm still blown away by that uh, China China thing. Um, <laughs> still reeling from that one. But one of the things that we ended with was the, the idea that, that it's not all roses and that there, there's a cautionary tale to be told here for those who maybe are in a similar situation or think they're in a similar situation and want to or exploring the idea of quitting their day job and going become a full-time Kickstarter-driven business, and here we're specifically talking about the board game space because many of our listeners aren't right. in board gaming, but here we're talking about board games specifically. And and right. I promise that when we you came back, we'd talk about that topic. Uh, is that something right. you're comfortable talking about? Absolutely, yeah. We can we can talk about it from my perspective and, and your perspective and um, just what we've seen happen on Kickstarter from people who might maybe take that approach and, and it hasn't worked out for them. Yeah, yeah. The, the, so my perspective is the number one thing I always tell people, that, and the biggest challenge, uh, there's a couple of things. I'll lead into this, and then you're going to actually deliver the meat here, I think, of the presentation. That mm-hmm. I think one reason that Kickstarter has become so resonant with the board game space specifically, um, you know, gaming has become the largest category, funding category on Kickstarter. It's become the largest block of, of money that's contributed out there, and it shows no signs in 2014 of slowing down. Uh, but one reason that has resonated so much is because in the past, the board game industry, there just hasn't been any money. It's a capital intensive business and cash is hard to come by. And, and we've had plenty of guests on the show to talk about the distribution model and how little money there is out there and how much money you can expect to make on each, each product that you sell. And you have to sell so many products. This isn't selling software. And the biggest challenge has always been that there just isn't any money. And my argument, the very reason this podcast exists has been because I saw that Kickstarter was going to change that. Um, the, the cash that is now flowing in, the money, the capital that's flowing into each industry that crowdfunding is touched by Kickstarter and crowdfunding is transforming it. The board game industry is nothing different. You, new to the space, uh, a new board game company, finding success are finding a way to do it full time. You've said in your last episode that you're planning in 2014 to see if you can make a, make this happen. Mm-hmm. Give us the listeners and us a little perspective of kind of how you got to led up to this decision point. 
and maybe some of the things that there's some gotchas out there that maybe people should really be thinking about before they make the leap? Well, I think a lot of it is founded in the idea that uh, for, for my first two Kickstarter campaigns, and, and particularly for Euphoria, my last campaign where we had about 4,700 backers and we raised a little over 300,000, when I went into that campaign, or even during the campaign when I, when I saw that it was, it was going to be successful, um, I was not raising money to, to make a career out of it. So that, that Kickstarter money that I was raising was not intended to go towards my condo payments and my food. Um, I, I was very specific where that I knew that money was going to make Kickstarter versions of the game. And I was hoping that it would enable me to also make retail versions of the game that would perhaps enable a, a career or, or a full-time position um, with the company. But I, I mentioned that delineation because I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty important on Kickstarter that, that Kickstarter creators aren't, um, how do I put this? That they're, that they're focusing on using those Kickstarter funds for what they said they were going to use it for, which is most often to produce something and deliver it to backers, right? Right. Right. And so we've seen, we've seen some cases of people who get that big uh, lump sum of money in their bank account a couple of days after the Kickstarter ends, and suddenly they feel like they have a lot of money. Or really, they maybe they haven't fully budgeted out where all that money is going and where it needs to go to deliver on their promises to their Kickstarter backers. Yeah, that money coming in because let's go back just because I want to talk about this, but let's just go back just a, a half step here. You were yeah. talking about Euphoria with the three hundred and some odd thousand dollars, but your first Kickstarter campaign was Viticulture, and it did well, but it didn't do mm-hmm. astronomical numbers. How much money did you raise with Viticulture? So Viticulture raised uh, sixty five thousand, and that was and you had just under a thousand backers on that, right, right. And so at that point, and it's obvious at that point you're not thinking, oh, sixty five thousand dollars are going to quit my job. I wasn't, but I think we should say that some some people might. I mean, that's that's easily a year's salary for most people. Um, yeah, except the, you had a thousand people <laughs> that you had to deliver a product to that cost money. Exactly, exactly. And not just manufacturer products. I think Viticulture cost about, the scale that we were doing, it cost about $10 a game to make, just, just to print the game. But there's so many other costs that go into making the game look beautiful, like the designer, the art, all that, to make that first print run. And then you have to ship the game and deliver it. So there's so many costs that go into it. Um, so all those costs. Yeah. So here, here's the point then to come back to what you were saying. So $65,000, a thousand copies of the game, $10 to, to manufacture it. You've got shipping. Suddenly, um, you're looking at maybe you got 20,000, maybe you got 10,000. If you blow that money, that's like to use a, an old term metaphor. That's like eating your seed corn, right? Right. Because that money is now a boon for your next project that allows you now to be able to upgrade the art, all of the things necessary to make the next project work. Or right. you could make a decision at that point to say, nah, we're going to eat the seed corn. We'll worry about feeding ourselves in the winter later. Exactly. And, yeah, and you made the decision, good. if I understand, you made the decision, okay, I'm going to invest this back into – at what point did you say, I think I'm going to make a company – I mean, was it before Viticulture, or was Viticulture just, I'd like to make a game? 
That's a good question. So that was about 15 months ago. Um, it was kind of up in the air. I didn't really know how, how it would do. I, I genuinely went into the campaign not knowing if we would succeed or not, and I, I, I didn't really know. I, I honestly, I don't know, Richard. I, so, okay, so then that's fair. Yeah. You went into Viticulture. Viticulture comes out at 65000 You've got yourself a, a game. You go through this process of making the game, and then you decide, oh, I could do this again. Yeah. That was kind of fun. I could do this again. So then you make Euphoria, and just so everybody knows, you designed the game, um, right. art, hired out the artwork, uh, sent it out to manufacturing because you'd made a relationship with Panda Games. Mm-hmm. Game gets out there, and now, boom, it suddenly is a – a successful 300,000 plus 4,500 backers. Uh, suddenly this thing is starting to take on some legs at that point. Did you look at it and say, Hey, maybe I could, maybe I can make this thing go. Well, I actually think it was something else that happened during the euphoria campaign. Um, I, I'm glad you, you kind of talked us through it. I'm starting to remember it now. Um, Viticulture was delivered to backers during just before and during the Euphoria campaign. So this was May and June of last year. Um, and a couple of things happened there. One, we delivered pretty much on time. Like there are a few European games that arrived a week after I said it would. But we were able to deliver on our promise. Two, we sold out of all the retail versions of Viticulture on the first day that they were available to distributors. And so it was really when that happened that I was like, okay, well, maybe if, if I can extend this success beyond Kickstarter to the retail market, to an ongoing market, then maybe I actually have a chance of making a company out of this. And then that was a decision like, okay, but but Euphoria was already in the works at that point, right? Euphoria, I think I, yeah, I think Euphoria was around 100,000 funding on the day that I got the call from all those saying, hey, you sold out of Viticulture, let's make some more copies. Yeah, so they were kind of happening right at the same time. Um, and so, and so yeah. now $300,000 ends up in your bank account. You now have 4,500 right. copies of this game to get out there. But you started laying the – I could easily see where people would continue to do this as a one-off. And what I mean by that is, oh, okay, yeah. now we made a game and, okay, we'll just get them out there and, and don't really worry about all the different pieces of the infrastructure. But as we've talked right. in previous episodes, no, you started to reach out to – foreign publishers to be able to publish your game in the Chinese market and the European markets. You started setting up an international distribution system so that you could offer uh, ongoing shipping for free internationally, basically at the same cost that the U S was paying. I mean, you really started to lay some groundwork there that would not indicate to somebody who was just doing a a one-off. Right, and I think, you know, we were talking before this episode a little bit about the idea of having fun with what you do. And really, once I started trying some new things with Kickstarter and trying some new things with the company, just experimenting, experimenting here and there, I realized that I was just having a lot of fun doing it. Um, and the, the, the financial security is one thing, and the, the number of backers, the Kickstarter campaigns, that's, that's another thing. But not everyone has fun running a business. Not everyone has fun looking at spreadsheets and talking to hundreds of people online every day. Like I spend at least two hours on Board Game Geek every day just commenting and reading comments. And I love it. I, I, I ha- I'm having a blast doing it. And, and so I think once I realized, hey, I'm, I'm loving this. I want to keep, I don't want to just design games. I want to produce games. I want to try new things. I think it's just, uh, for some people, it's kind of a matter of what's the most fun for you. Is it, ju- is it just fun for you to design a game or create a product? 
or is it fun for you to to run a business? Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about this is yeah. the, the topic of this episode before we run out of time again, talking about cool stuff is cautionary tales. You've had to make yeah. some mistakes. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to hear about the mistakes. I, but, well, maybe oh, not. True. We don't have to hear about them, but is there some advice that you give to somebody who's in a similar situation, looking at their life, looking at it and saying, hey, I want to do what he did. Mm-hmm. And that's when you say, whoa, 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 hang on a second. You know, don't be quitting your day job. And I'm just going to bring out a point. You actually enjoyed your day job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I really this was a, great course. Yeah. yeah you, you weren't doing this out of discontent, which I think is a key point I just wanted to bring up. Yes. Yeah. But there's got to be some cautions that you would tell people who are listening right now who think that they can just replicate what you did. And those, uh, there's got to be some cautions there. I don't know what they might be. You, they're in your head. What would they be? Well, I mean, some of my fears uh, preceded the euphoria campaign. So, and, and even some after, because I obviously didn't quit my job right after euphoria. But my fear was that um, no one would want to buy euphoria. No one would back euphoria. My fear was that we wouldn't sell any retail copies of Viticulture. Um, th- those were fears that happened b- before the campaign. I... I I was afraid that we'd run out of money before we could make make Euphoria. Um, cash flow was a big big factor, and even after Euphoria, you know, we we had all this money in the bank, but it goes I, fast. It goes it goes fast, and I, I found that no matter how well you budget, things will always cost more. There's always a cost that either you forget or or USPS increases their prices by thirty cents a package, and when you're delivering nine thousand games. That's a lot of money, and uh, things are always going to be more expensive. And so, I'm just—I'm always really cautious until I actually have made the game or shipped the game and, and actually spent the money and seen it leave my bank account. It's at that point where I'm like, okay, well, that's how much it actually costs. And that, now I know I have this much left over to pay for my 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 cat food. You know. Now we have very smart listeners, and you have a very nice cat, by the way. I get to watch the pictures on Facebook. <laughs> we have very smart listeners. Um, but there's a but I'm putting in here. They're all convinced yeah. that their game is going to sell really well, mm. right? And they're convinced right. that um, they're going to sell the, – the retail is going to do well and their Kickstarter campaign is going to do well. And I know that they're not because I've talked to so many of them. And they, they all have that same fear of pushing that launch button and wondering if anybody's going to pay attention. Sure. So uh, um, overconfidence has got to be something that you've got to be careful of. Absolutely. Absolutely, Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone among Kickstarter creators who've made a lot of money, but they're they're worried about their next game because you, you never know what's going to happen um, on the, on the next campaign. So, yeah, I, I, I'm always nervous about that. How big you, do you? Do you what's yeah, that? Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I, I was I was just going to ask. Do you, do you see a lot of people who, like you said, you, you see a lot of people who think that they have the next big game. And that, I think that's great to, to have that hope and to put everything into making that game the next big game or the, the next big product. Um, so I think I, that's great. I yeah. get um, – I've been very active on Twitter uh, this mm-hmm. – in 2013. I've really got, gone out of my way to cultivate some relationships out there and also to attract some backers. So uh, I've followed a lot of people out there. And so I got a lot of people who reach out to me. And uh-huh. one thing is I, I – I, Regularly receive, hey, can you help promote my game? Ah, uh, yes. Can you help promote my Kickstarter game? 
And I'll go and look, and this is what's happened over the last couple of weeks. One, his had nine days left, and he had two backers. Yeah. And I texted back and said, you don't need my help to promote your game. You need to cancel your project, figure out what you did wrong, and go find your fan base. Another person yeah. had nine, I think they had nine backers, nine days to go. And same thing I said to him. I said, you've got, where are, you don't even have 10 people. You can't, I said, you got to go find some people who to back this. And so there are signals that you should be able to have that indicate to you that maybe this project isn't as cool as you think it is. Right. And people look for shortcuts. They look at me with uh, a vast uh, network of contacts and people and a platform like this podcast that somehow I'm going to save their project and drive mm-hmm. all this traffic because you, my listeners, are uh, going to do whatever I tell you. Well, pff, I know better than that. But the problem is, is that, no, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be hoping my network is what supports your project. You should be hoping that your network is what supports your project. And I guess that's one of the biggest cautionary tales I consistently beat my drum about. And that is, and you, and I've been quoted many times saying this in crowdfunding, the crowd has to come before the funding mm-hmm. and crowdfunding is like crowd surfing. If you leap and there's no crowd, it's going to be a very painful <laughs> landing. Okay. Right. And right. I think that's my biggest cautionary tale is that people are just so confident that the, if you build it, it they will come mentality mm-hmm. Yeah, um, really is what gets them into trouble. But you, did you, how did you overcome that? And we've only got a couple of minutes. Of course, I, I feel like I take up all the time talking, telling my stories. Well, let, me give you, let me give you three quick bullet points in response to that. The first is don't go into Kickstarter expecting that Kickstarter will uh, promote your game. Because I think, I'm, I'm, as you said, you hear from a lot of people, but I think a lot of people go on Kickstarter and think, hey, I'll throw a zombie game up on Kickstarter. Kickstarter will help me promote it, and I'll fund it. That's not true. That's a, that's a myth. You have to make your own game happen. You have to make your own project happen. Kickstarter's not there to do it. Kickstarter will support some projects, but it's, it's a crapshoot with, with the sheer number of projects out there on Kickstarter. You can't rely on them to promote your project. Um, the, the, second, the second point I want to make is if you are actively... If you are if you are texting Richard on Twitter or anyone and asking them to promote your project, um, you're going about it the wrong way. <laughs> I, I, um, at any point in the project, reaching out and asking people to promote you is not how you're going to uh, generate the the crowd, the enthusiasm, the backing that you need. Rather, reverse your philosophy and think about how you can make things, how you can promote other people how you can add value to other people and they'll gravitate towards you. Um, that's, that's the second point. Third point, I think I've already forgotten, but those are two big ones. Oh no, the third point is art. I think I, I see so many Kickstarter campaigns with terrible art and graphic design and you don't need a lot. I know art and design costs a lot of money. You don't need a lot of that to, to actually launch a campaign, but you need some of it. And I think I would recommend every Kickstarter backer, especially game creators that, you need to send your art, your, 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 your best pieces of art that you're going to feature on the Kickstarter page. Send them to five strangers who don't care about your feelings at all and let them tell you what they think about the art. And if they tell you that the art looks bad, 
they are the only people you should believe. You should not believe your friends, your family who say they love the art, especially if you made it. Believe those five strangers and go out and pay for a real artist and a real graphic designer to make something beautiful and attractive, and that will drive people towards your project. I'm sure you've seen that so many times. I, I, I would say that's one of the biggest mistakes. You cannot trust your friends when it comes to to art unless you have truly have a friend who doesn't care about your feelings. And that project with nine backers, that was what I told them. I said, go get some yep. art. That hand-drawn, yep. do-it-yourself art, that doesn't cut it anymore. Nope. Awesome three points. Jamie, thank you so much for uh, joining me again on the show. Thank you for having me, Richard. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. This has been episode 187. My co-host has been Jamie Stegmeyer from StoneMeyerGames.com. Great stuff. Hopefully you've heard some cautionary tales to make you maybe pause a little bit before you go and quit that uh, day job. I know I've been inspired by Jamie. I always am. We're looking forward to seeing you out on Kickstarter so that we can be inspired by your projects. Go out there, give it a try, and uh, take a risk. We're looking forward to seeing you out there. Thanks for listening. Take care.